Hello, you're listening to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby, and I'm the content manager here at Patient Worthy. Today, we're going to be discussing narcolepsy, which is a condition that many listeners may have heard of. It's a neurological condition that prevents the brain from regulating a person's sleep-wake schedule and could present itself across a range of symptoms. These can include persistent drowsiness, falling asleep while awake, hallucinations, and loss of muscle control. However, no two cases are the same, which can make diagnosis difficult. In fact, most people with narcolepsy aren't diagnosed until years after the onset of symptoms. And to help discuss this today, we have a very special guest. Tara O'Connor is an EMT and narcolepsy advocate, and she recently published an account of her 20-year journey to diagnosis here on PatientWorthy. Tara, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure thing. I'd just like to thank you for coming on today and also for providing us with your story. Uh, one of our main goals here at Patient Worthy is to put the patient voice front and center. And I think your journey echoes the story of so many rare patients that we've heard from before. Can you give us an overview of narcolepsy as a condition? There's two different types. Type one is with cataplexy and type two is without. People with narcolepsy experience similar symptoms, but in different ways. And so the hallucinations, the sleep paralysis, the excessive daytime sleepiness, there's even other symptoms that aren't very put out there that this is a symptom of narcolepsy, mm-hmm. which is like insomnia. Mm-hmm. And so we're not just always tired or always sleeping. We sometimes can't sleep. For me, I was, I never really knew what narcolepsy was until I was diagnosed. Uh, Can you talk about some of the uh, comorbidities that people may experience alongside narcolepsy? Yeah, so there's a couple that are most common, and that is depression and fibromyalgia and migraines. I have fibromyalgia and migraines, and oftentimes people with narcolepsy are dealing with more than one condition, and they have to manage each of those conditions and we're more prone to those other conditions. For me personally, it's tough to manage each of those because some of the medications that I would take for my fibromyalgia, it interferes with medicines I take for my narcolepsy. And so it's just kind of tough with that. Yeah. I think that many listeners, like I said, have maybe heard of narcolepsy before, they have preconceived notions of it, right? Uh, Coming from TV shows, movies, things like that. Um, What do you think are some of the misconceptions that people have about this condition? I think that a lot of people do think it's a lot like the movies or TV shows, and it's not at all like that. People think that we just fall asleep randomly, like mid-conversation, and that's not even close to what narcolepsy is, and that's just it looks like that and that's cataplexy and it's just the loss of muscle tone and it could be your whole body or it could just be part of it, like our hands or our feet. And so that wouldn't make us look like we were sleeping. And that's just one symptom of narcolepsy. But for me, I have type two and I don't experience that at all. I think that's the biggest one, but another one would probably be that they just think we can sleep like we're lucky that we can sleep whenever we want. And that's not true. 
like for me personally, I slept all the time and I was still always tired and I Mm -hmm. just had no idea that wasn't normal. Mm -hmm. And being diagnosed now, like I sleep to be able to function. I know in your, your article, you write about your 20 year journey to diagnosis. So this is something that took uh, a long time for you. And I know that is something that is common among people who are diagnosed with narcolepsy. You started exhibiting symptoms of narcolepsy. You said when you were two years old, uh, can you tell us a little more about, uh, your story, what you experienced during this process while you were trying to find answers? Narcolepsy looks different in different age groups. And when I was two, I had a fall and I got a minor concussion in the back of my head. And my mom said that ever since I was never the same again. And I remember growing up just feeling like something was off, but I didn't know what. My parents took me to doctors and I got diagnosed with ADHD and ODD and anxiety and depression and they would try different medicines different therapies and nothing would ever work the only thing that I found that worked at growing up was when I was diagnosed with ADHD I got prescribed Ritalin which helped but it makes sense because I also take Ritalin now for my narcolepsy the sleepiness started to take over when I was probably early high school years And I started to want to stay home and sleep all the time. Like I would fake saying I have a headache or I have a stomach ache or something. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where I used every excuse in the books and my parents and a lot of other people were just telling me I'm lazy and that I'm faking it and that I need to just go to school. And I had no idea that I was not supposed to be as tired as I was because no one really ever talks about it. And I thought that, oh, everyone my age is like this and that they're just handling it better than I am. And so how were you finally diagnosed with narcolepsy? I also have fibromyalgia and I see a pain doctor for that. And I was telling him one day when my sleepiness started to really, really take over me, I was falling asleep driving and I was sleeping all the time and I was still always tired. And I was telling my doctor about how I'm always tired, but yet sleep all the time. And he was, he was thinking that I had a sleeping disorder. And so he took, or he referred me to a sleep specialist in that same office. And I got a sleep study in an MLST done and I found out I had narcolepsy. And so how did you feel when you were, were finally diagnosed with something? You could put a, a name to what you were experiencing. I mean, I was relieved, but also I had no idea what to expect because I had never heard of this. And when I told my parents, they, they didn't think that it was true. And they didn't think that it was just my sleeping and my mom growing up and still to this day, she thinks that everything is anxiety related, mm-hmm. but people with narcolepsy, they do experience some anxiety, mm-hmm. but it's not the main thing. And I was nervous and I didn't know how it was going to change my life, but it definitely did change my life. Now, one quote in your piece stood out to me as I was reading it, and and that was as follows. 
for most of my life, my friends and my family were tired of me not feeling well and me being so tired. They always said I was faking it and that I am lazy. I try so hard to explain myself and my disease and they still don't get it. You know, you've talked about that a bit here, uh, about how difficult it was to get people to believe you. Um, narcolepsy might be said to fall into a category of conditions called an invisible illness, a disease with no highly visible outward signs. Why do you think it's so hard for some to understand and to believe people when they talk about their narcolepsy symptoms? I think it's because we look fine, especially people with narcolepsy type 2 because we don't experience the cataplexy. And so I may be exhausted and needing to sleep, but it won't look like it. And so they think that I'm fine or I can just take my nap after I finish a task. But when the sleep attacks come on, there's nothing we can do to control that. And you brought up before that narcolepsy is, is probably underdiagnosed. Uh, and we've gone over some of the reasons why that is, uh, you know, doctors not being able to pin a diagnosis on it, the symptoms presenting as something else. What advice do you have for someone who is listening to this and thinking, hey, that sounds very familiar? I think that if you're experiencing sleepiness and you don't think it's normal or any of the other symptoms, just advocate for yourself and don't let a doctor just slap on anxiety, depression, or something else. If you don't think that diagnosis is right, fight for yourself and just keep on trying to get a new doctor or a different doctor and don't give up because it really makes a difference being diagnosed. And one of the things you've said is that uh, post-diagnosis, you found a lot of support online. Uh, and that's something that uh, I hear from many of our guests is that through the internet, they're able to connect to people uh, with their conditions or they might not have in-person resources uh, in, in their area. What advice would you have for someone facing a new narcolepsy diagnosis about how they can find support? So for me personally, I just kind of Googled narcolepsy. And if you do that, there is a bunch of different organizations that pop up, but also there's some pages on Facebook that if you type in narcolepsy, a bunch of support groups come up. Some of the organizations have online Zoom meetings like once a week or a couple times a month. And that's where I found my people and me speaking up and reaching out which it can be hard at first. And it took me a little over a year and a half to do that. It just changed everything because now I have this big circle. So I would recommend reaching out and doing your research. You have the internet, you have all of the different social media pages. Okay. And for friends and family, how can they, uh, you know, be understanding of this? How can they be more supportive of someone who has narcolepsy? Do you have any advice there? Yeah, I would say to trust us who have narcolepsy when we say we're tired and we need a nap or we have to do something differently because of our narcolepsy and just don't assume that we are doing it, using it as an excuse because we know our bodies more. And I think that's a huge part of it. But then also there's books and certain podcasts and also 
some support groups like on Facebook and different organizations that they can get on and see all these other people who experience the same symptoms we do. I feel like seeing those stories of others, they see that I'm not just the only one experiencing this and that it's a real thing. So what would you like to see the future hold for you uh, in terms of narcolepsy advocacy? Uh, How would you like to expand some of the efforts that you're doing there? I would really like to go to conferences or just really reach out to a lot of people and tell my story, really raise awareness because they say only 25% of people with narcolepsy are diagnosed. And I feel like it's because they don't know that being this tired isn't normal. And I feel like sleep is such an important thing that we definitely need to talk more about it. Now, Tara, I know you mentioned previously that you volunteer as an EMT and you're also working toward being a firefighter as well. Uh, Can you speak about some of your experiences in that field, emergency medicine? So for the EMS side, I have been an EMT for three and a half years. And so I was became one before my diagnosis. And I think being in the medical field, I do see a lot of like car accidents and people who they seem disoriented. A lot of people in the field don't know that it could possibly be narcolepsy or a sleeping disorder. And so like, I feel like me having narcolepsy and being in this field, I have a different perspective of looking at like patients and different experiences because like, I don't just assume the most common things that happen. And I just keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. You might have a a different point of view in what somebody is experiencing. Um, You know, say if they, you know, presenting as some sort of altered mental status, you might think along different lines than you feel like your typical EMT might. Yeah. And do you feel like your medical experience uh, that, that you've gained by being an EMT, do you feel like it's helped you to understand your diagnosis better? I don't know if I would say it's helped my me understand my diagnosis, but it's definitely made me more confident to speak up about my diagnosis and with the medical terms and even with doctors, like standing my ground and not settling. And because I know what I'm talking about, just the medical side of it. And I feel like that has given me more confidence to talk to other medical professionals about this type of stuff. And those two fields, emergency medicine and firefighting, I know from my own experiences volunteering as an EMT that they're pretty stringent about their physical requirements. Uh, What advice do you have for someone with a rare condition that may be interested in getting into one of these fields? I would say that, like, don't think that you can't do it because you have a rare condition because I don't know many people who are in the field with narcolepsy or other rare conditions, but I didn't let that stop me. And I do get questioned all the time. Like, can you even do that? Or you got to think about the real life situations. Like, are you sure you can do that? And they just don't get that. I think about my conditions daily, like about almost everything I do. And so it's, don't let other people discourage you 
like get help in the classes, like get accommodations through your whatever program you go through. Cause like I do our community college here close to me and they have a disabilities center and that's who I go through for accommodations and the physical side of it. Yeah. You do need to be pretty strong to do the hose work or to crawl around and search like for search and rescue or to help lift patients. I would just say work out the best you can and you don't have to be buff by any means, but any muscle helps. And as a volunteer, they don't have any requirements, but I know that for career side of it, some places do have the requirements. And for the physical part, I would just say, just keep working on getting that muscle and getting fit just so you can be prepared. Mm -hmm. Well, Tara, I want to thank you again for coming on the show today and sharing your experiences and also for the article that you wrote at patientworthy.com. And I also want to wish you the best of luck in your firefighter training. Thank you. And for our listeners, remember that you can always find the latest in rare disease news by visiting patientworthy.com at any time. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook by searching for Patientworthy on those platforms. And if you like today's show, please consider leaving us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. It may seem like a small thing, but it really does go a long way. And as always, thank you for listening. 